Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to episode 118 of Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Putvang. Uh, you can find me on the Hockey Writers and Recruits.ca. Uh, I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson of the Hockey Writers. How you doing? And Matt Smith of the Royal Canadian Air Force. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those listening to, uh, to the podcast on podcast platforms... If you want to see Matt Smith's beautiful face on a Sunday morning, just go over to YouTube, click subscribe, and you will never miss an episode where Matt Smith graces us with his beauty. It's Valentine's Day and nobody else is seeing it here. (laughs) Well, we love you, Matt. So happy Valentine's Day. And happy Valentine's Day to all of our listeners, all of our friends, all of our followers, uh, and even even Leaf fans. I mean, happy Valentine's Day. 
I know it sounds weird. I'm I'm coming down from my champagne hangover and watching all the fireworks from last night after the game, you know, because Habs fans had a parade or something, according to Leafs Twitter. So, you know, it's it's a rough morning. I, th- I think fans of both teams just got to get over this. We're the greatest team ever after every game. Uh, I mean, so far, we're not winning the uh, series. So... And that's how you have to look at hockey right now. And there's 10 games to go. I think we can win the series. I think Toronto can win the series. They're both good teams. I think people need to just relax a bit and pump the brakes on the whole. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying the Leafs are a good hockey team? What are you? What's wrong with you? They're a good regular season hockey game, as Kevin Biesco would tell you. <laughs> Damn. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. you got to pump the brakes. It's, it's one Three games, three games of 10. Let's so relax a bit. We're going to get into that here in a couple of minutes. We're going to start, uh, we're going to just kick off our show and uh, we'll start off with a little bit of an around the league. So there's a little bit of NHL news that I think we could talk about. Uh, the first one is the Penguins go with Ron Hextall as the GM. So uh, I'm going to start with you, Matt, what your thoughts are on that drastic move of bringing in a team of Flyers to lead the Penguins? I, I, I thought it was a little surprising, to be honest, but when you look at who's available, um, he's among the uh, the top potential candidates. Uh, we see what he did with Philadelphia, and he really reshaped that team. Uh, for me, it was just uh, the fact that you've got a guy that's, you know, he, he's been part of that rivalry for so long, and now all of a sudden he's running the show for the other team and um, the uh, bringing in uh, Brian Burke as president of hockey ops. That was just a surprise. Maybe, maybe even more surprising, but um, he said that it was a, uh, it was a deal that he couldn't refuse and that um, there have been other teams that have reached out to him and he just didn't see a fit. So uh, I, I, I think that um, if the, if the penguins if the penguins fail to make a dent in the in the playoffs this year, I can see a tandem of um, of Hextall and Burke making some changes. Um, you've got um, like Malkin's contract. You know, I know Malkin's getting a little bit old. He's thirty four now. Um, his contract's over at the end of the tw- like going into the 2022-2023 season. Um, so is Latang, and I think. Um, I think they're, they're going to have to have a real sit down with them to say, you know, this is what we can do. Um, it's the same thing with, uh, with Crosby. Like Crosby's got, including this season, he's got five years left on his deal at 8.7 and still a very um, productive player. He's still a very good player. Um, and you look at some of the top players in the league right now, eight, eight, eight point seven millions still a lot of money, but it's, it's not, uh, it's not anything close to what some of these uh, top players are making. So um, I, I can see him having to sit down with somebody like a Malkin, a Latang, a Crosby and having a tough conversation with them and say, look, like you've done some great things with this organization. However, we can turn you into a rebuild for this team 
and you can be a part of that and we can give you some we can give you the opportunity to go somewhere else and i think they'd be pretty fair with them and not be you know uh Malkin and Crosby both have no movement clauses, and um, I know Latang's got a modified no trade and a no movement clause. So it, yeah. it would be it would be on the player to to do so, but I think that uh, at some point, with uh, especially with Pittsburgh having really no prospects on their system, they are one of the they are one of those teams. It, it might it might take it might take um, one of the big guys to move out, and in my my uh, my opinion, it would probably be Latang, and to 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 move it and get a few of these pieces in for this team to start the rebuild a little bit more. But um, the way the way it looks right now, they're you know they're not playing terrible hockey, so we'll see what happens. Greg, what about you? I, I was more surprised about Brian Burke than Ron Hextel. As soon as I heard Ron Hextel's name came up, I thought he'd make a great candidate for GM. Uh, I know Lemieux. I heard a rumor that Lemieux asked him in his interview about the time that uh, Hextel knocked him out or whatever it is. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, um, Hextel, I thought Philly is the team that is. The team that Philly has right now is Hexfell's team, really, uh, if you think about it, uh, including Carter Hart and all those. He's the guy that drafted all those guys. Um, I thought Hextel did a, a good job in Philly. Um, just didn't get that extra step, I guess, in the playoffs to put the team in a cup contention. Um, Burke was a surprise to me and some of Burke's little sayings is going like uh, about uh, we got to start bringing the long pants type hockey players in here, the big, strong, rugged guys and uh, truculence. Yeah. Um, so to me that I think the rebuild is coming in Pittsburgh. Uh, I agree with Matt. Uh, he's going to have to take a long, hard talk. They're going to have to sit down with their veterans, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and say, hey, this is the direction we're going. Do you guys want to be a part of that? If not, then, you know, it's time, you know, and that, and that's basically what it's going to be. Like it's Crosby. I mean, Crosby get what three cups. So a cup really isn't, I'm not going to say it's not what he's looking for, but he's not really desperate for a cup because he had, he's won it. He has it. Um, but does he really want to be on a rebuilding team in the twilight of his career too? Like that, that's another thing you're going to kind of look at. Uh so yeah, that's it's it's interesting breakthrough for Pittsburgh. I think you're going to see a totally different Pittsburgh team in the years to come. I think you're going to see them bottom out and start rebuilding and see where it goes from there. Yes. So for me, um, I love Hextall as a GM. I think that he got fired. I'm pretty sure it's because he was showing too much patience. He wanted to hold out on Carter Hart to give him more time to prepare to be an NHL player. Because uh, he, he was worried about ruining him too soon, uh, and management ownership said no, no, we want to compete now. Bring him up. He stuck to his guns and lost his job. So I think maybe he'll be a little gun shy on that kind of thing in the future. So for now, uh, I, I see this as a team that's in a holding pattern. They might make a couple of little moves to try and improve the team's chances, but I think in the off season, what we're going to see is. Uh, an on-the-fly retool like the Canadians. Brian Burke is a huge fan of what Bergevin did this offseason. 
So I would not be surprised if uh, if Pittsburgh tried that. And I do see Malkin as a possible trade chip, maybe even Latang, but definitely not Crosby. I see Crosby as a Mr. Penguin. He's going to pr- play his entire career there, uh, especially with Brian Burke just absolutely adoring him. So it makes sense. Um, he, he'd definitely be the last to move if anything, yeah. if anything yeah. happened. He'd definitely be the last one. To and get. it would be, I think it would be on his terms. I think it would be yeah, him yeah. saying, and I don't want to be involved in this. I don't think yeah. he wants to go anywhere. And I know the rumor is he'd go to Montreal, but let's be honest. Why would Montreal want him at this point? They're they're going with a more youthful lineup, especially up the middle. We'll get into that in, the, in our segment about the Canadians. But um, yeah, no, I don't I don't see him going anywhere. I don't see the Canadians wanting to go after him. So anybody who's got this uh, pie in the sky dream of Crosby being moved out of Pittsburgh or going to Montreal, set your alarm, wake the frig up. It's not going to happen. Guaranteed, stamped. There you go. That's that's my insider knowledge without any insider knowledge. So uh, <clears throat> moving on from that one, the next uh, around the league topic we could t- uh, that I wanted to bring up was uh, Galchenyuk. He got traded yesterday as we recorded Sunday, the 14th of February. Happy Valentine's Day. And the Valentine to Galchenyuk was his sixth team in three years. So he goes to Carolina. Ottawa brings back to Zingle who uh, I'm going to be honest, I think Ottawa uh, I think Ottawa did a really good job here. Uh, they added some scoring. They had tons of grit, and they needed a little bit more of a scoring touch, and I think Dezingle brings that as opposed to uh, Cedric Paquette, who was part of this deal as well. Um, I like Paquette. I think he's a really, really, really good bottom six player who brings a lot of grit, a lot of effort. He's a hard worker, so he'll fit well in Carolina who lack that, that style of player, but Ottawa's got quite a few of those kinds. So I think this is a good move for Ottawa and there'll be a tougher team to play against once the Zingle finishes at 14 days. So Matt, what do you think? I was surprised to see Galchenyuk moved again, uh, to be honest. Um, He's, I don't. I don't even know really where to start with him. Um, you 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 get a guy that um, you saw with the Canadians. He had his ups and downs, but he showed a hell of a lot of promise. And um, you get a guy that can score thirty goals. It's not a common thing in this league. And it just seemed that as soon as he left Montreal, his career just spiraled downward. And um, a lot of people attacked. Mark Bergevin when um, he brought in Max Domi. Max Domi ended up doing some very good things with the Canadians. And um, Max Domi ended up uh, getting us Josh Anderson, who is playing very good hockey for the team right now. But uh, back to Galchenyuk. um, You know, he's played for uh, Arizona. He's played for Pittsburgh. He plays for Minnesota. He played for Ottawa for eight games. Um. And now he, he moves on to Carolina, which is a team that already has that they're they're already winning games. Um, it, it it just kind of seemed like he's an extra in the deal, and I don't know. We might even see him, uh, you know, leave the NHL at some point 
this isn't going to be a lineup that's going to be easy to crack. They're winning games. They're not going to they're not going to tinker with a lineup that's got a winning formula, especially someone that's moved around so much. So it's it's hard to say. Like I, I kind of feel bad for the guy. I I, I liked him. I, I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was uh, going to be a part of the Canadians uh, for you know for quite a few years. He moved. I was just shocked as everybody else. But it, it ended up working out for the Canadians in the long run. But uh, with Dzingel, um he's been with Ottawa before, and he's played his best hockey of his career there. So maybe he'll find that part of his game again. And with Paquette leaving, um, the same it's the same thing as Colburn or any of the other veteran guys that they've brought in. They're not using them. It's 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 better to move them somewhere that maybe they can actually be utilized. Like to go from a to go from winning a Stanley Cup to not even being able to play for the Sens, that's that's pretty fucked. So, like I, yeah. I can see I can see I can see why some of these guys would want out. And there's a lot of rumors right now swirling around Ottawa that some of these veteran guys want out, and I can see why. Yeah, and on on Galchenyuk, I mean, you talked about him being a 30 goal scorer, but he did it once. And he hasn't done it at all the rest of his career. So is he a 30 goal scorer or is he the 20 goal scorer or less? And I mean, there's an old saying in the Navy, you can build a thousand bridges, but, <laughs> but you're not called a bridge builder if you do something else, you know? So I uh, mean, if you end up being a rooster inhaler, yes. So in this case, Trick. <laughs> <laughs> so in this case, um, yeah, no, it's, it's not a surprise. He, he is a throw in and he's just going to be an extra forward down there. Treg, you got a couple minutes. Give us your, give us your thoughts. I, I don't know how I'm being the decent one in this conversation and not uh, saying anything inappropriate, but uh I think Galchenyuk's 30 goals is an outliner. It's, it's an outliner. He, yeah. he never showed after that the potential to score another 30 goals. 20 goals for sure. Yeah, I can see him scoring. Yeah. Um, I don't know what – I was a big high on Galchenyuk when he first came to Montreal. I was, you know, ready to, you know – I was, uh, if we were, if I was on Twitter at the time, which I don't think I was in 2012, uh, I would have uh, defended him to no tomorrow. Um, but that, I don't want to get too much of this, but you got to look at that draft year. He had broken his leg. He was in a, and that was a terrible draft year. It was a terrible, terrible draft year. Yakupov went first. I believe uh, Murray was the third overall pick. Second. Uh, yeah, second. And uh, Galchenyuk third. O'Reilly ended up being, I think, the best guy coming out of that top five in the draft. Or sorry, not O'Reilly, but Riley for Toronto. Um, and it was just a terrible draft. So I don't think he was as good as people thought he was going to be to begin with. And uh, now he's bouncing around to different teams. The old adjective was Montreal ruined him. Did they? I don't know. Like, because he's. Uh, I not think proven. his dad and uh, his off-ice antics did that. Yeah, uh, but because he's he's not proven it anywhere else. He's gone. Nope. As a matter of fact, he's only gotten worse. Uh, and like what Matt says, if you can't make it in Ottawa, you know where where are you going to make? I mean, he scored his first game, and everyone thought, "Oh, here we go." I mean, then again, he was also a healthy scratch for the first three games. So, 
Um, I don't see where he fits in in Carolina. I think Carolina was actually trading for Paquette, and I think Gilchenyuk was just thrown into it because uh, Carolina needs a guy like Paquette, especially in this playoff-type uh, season. Um, so I'll be shocked if he plays too much. So I don't know. I I, I think talking about Gilchenyuk's beating a dead horse, and he's on a six. I'd like to see. I'd like to see him succeed. I really, I really would. It's just that uh... I don't think it's there, Matt. I don't think it's there. I really don't. I think he's done his. I think he's KHL bound or somewhere bound next. I don't think he's an NHL. Personally, I, I, I agree with you. I could see that. I could see that that's more than likely going to happen. Maybe he's going to go to like play with Houdon or something in Switzerland or whatever. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I like to see him. I there's just a part of me that like I've got his. I've got his jersey in my in my closet. I've got a nice uh, like canvas of him autographed. Like he was a he was a he was a he was a guy that uh, I was excited about, and it's it's kind of uh, it's over, kind of unfortunate. It's over. <laughs> Change the name to Romanov. It's over. <laughs> yeah. So speaking, of, well, it, what's not over is Valentine's Day, and it's upon us, fellas. So here's a little here's a little note from our sponsors, Manscaped. Make sure you're ready for whenever the, whatever the night may take you. Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, are here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day. Two million men are already using Manscaped products to groom. Make sure you're one of them. Your girl or guy can't think of what to get you this year? Tell, her to, tell him or her to get the gift that's for you and for them. The best way to get started is with a Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0, full of the best products to keep you looking, smelling, and feeling nice. The Perfect Package 3.0 is led by their revolutionary third-generation lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which has advanced skin-safe technology and features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. It's also waterproof, which prevents a mess on the bathroom floor and in the sink, especially when it's time for Cupid to shoot that arrow. And let's be real. We've smelled the worst down there before. That's why I'm thankful for their Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver. These products keep our boys from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help you set the mood. You know what I mean. The Perfect Package 3.0 will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxers that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those overused pair of boxers to Manscaped's high-performance anti-chafing boxers easily the comfiest boxers i've ever had and complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by manscaped with the same signature scent that is in all manscaped formulas this cologne is a perfect complement to this collection this is the perfect package for your perfect package get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com your balls will thank you Get 20% off and free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. Happy Valentine's Day from Manscaped. Whew. Moving on from trimming our balls to partying excessively because the Habs finally won a game. So we're going to talk about uh, the Canadians week this week and how amazing it was 
actually friggin' sucked all week except for last night for a period. So let's just get started. Oh my God. What a terrible freaking week. They did not play well at all. So my question to you guys, and I'm going to start with you, Treg. Have teams adjusted to the Habs game plan or have the Habs just been playing poorly? Uh, teams adjusted to the game plan uh, and the Habs didn't adjust to their adjustments. Um, so it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, they played the neutral zone trap. You called it in the Ottawa game uh, way back in the first Ottawa game. Um, and it took what, four games in two periods for Montreal to figure it out. Um, to me, that's a bad coaching. Um, uh, I mean, we're lucky that we got uh, a win against Ottawa and a win against Toronto because uh, if we didn't, we'd be in a big hole. Uh, we said at the start of the season, if you lose, go on a five-game lose streak, that's pretty could pretty much be your season. I mean, look at Vancouver. Um, so it's a little bit column A, column B, Blaine. Uh, I think uh, they figured out their system and and played the trap to cut it down. And I don't I don't want to say it's the poor play of the Habs. There's been some Habs playing poorly. Uh, we'll probably get into that later. Uh, but I think it was just the poor play of the coaching staff not recognizing earlier what they needed to do in order to, or not, or, or maybe recognizing but not wanting to change their game plan in order to, uh, to accommodate. And I, that's what I think it was. Matt? For me, it just seemed like they were trying to force the play a little bit too much. And when they found that they, when things got uh, difficult for them, and they just tried to force it a little bit too much. So we see some of the passes they were trying to make and guys were no new, nowhere near the puck. And it was just shoot for volume. And like, I'm a, I'm a big ad for advocate for getting pucks on net, but you know, if you're just shooting to shoot from anywhere and putting it right in the middle of the goalie's chest, then you're not going to, you're not going to do anything. Um, Canadians were also, you know, you can't blame the refs all the time, but there was some pretty bad calls against them. Um, there was uh, some missed calls. There was the the puck that bounced in off of uh, Deneau the other night. So it's it, I'm not going to say it's not it's it's not all on the players. Uh, the, the as as Trake said, the coaching staff should have adjusted to uh, the debacle that was going on, and we saw it with uh, Tatarbi and Scratch the other night, which we'll get into. Um, I, I think they were just forcing the play a little bit too much. And I think with this week off is going to uh, give them the opportunity to look at the different parts of their game and try to come and be, be a better team and just, and, and, and look like the team that we saw against Toronto last night. Like they're, they're playing with a hell of a lot of physicality. They're finishing their checks. They're in on the four check, et cetera. Um, at least they were in the third. And we saw the second chances. We saw the a little bit more grit. We saw a little bit more effort. And there was no reason last night um, when they started that period being down. They're not playing hockey again for another week, so why not empty the tank? And that's what they did. And they came. They came. They came away with a win. And as Drake said, if you lose, uh, you go on a string of losses 
throughout this season with a shortened year. We're 15 games in. You know, there's your season, as 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 he said. So. Yeah. So for me, um, I'm I'm with Treg on this one as well. Um, this was a case of teams adjusting to the Canadians, but also a case of the Canadians playing poorly. So it it wasn't the same players playing poorly every game, but there was always a group that just didn't quite have it. So the the Canadians entire system relies on everyone playing up to a certain level. And when, uh, when they don't all meet that level outcomes aren't as good. And I agree with you, Matt, they were, they were rushing plays. They were gripping their sticks a little tight. They were trying too hard in some cases and in others, they just didn't have, um, they didn't have that second effort. So I noticed the, the trap did slow them down. And that took away from their transition game, which they were relying on heavily. But at the same time, what we've seen all week long, and there were cases of it last night in the first two periods against the Leafs, they were trying to make the big play instead of just making the small guaranteed play. There was a, there was one breakout in the second period near the end of the period. And I noted, I noted that on my Twitter, on Twitter, they were breaking out. Trot moved the puck up. Um, I'm trying to remember which which winger it was. I think it was Byron. He had an easy <clears throat> an easy chip pass to a player with speed. I think it was Lekkinen coming out of the zone. It was just a five foot pass, and the the puck would have been out of the zone, and Lekkinen would have had a good head of steam. But instead of just tapping it to him, he made a cross ice pass uh, to I. Th- think it was Kotniemi who then tried to hit Lekkonen for a big cross ice pass while on the move and it missed and then the puck went back down into the Canadian zone had it just been a simple chip pass Byron could have followed up Kotniemi could have just stayed on his in his lane on the uh, the far side and they could have created a three on two but instead they were pushing for the pretty play in the third, that stuff was gone, and we noticed a, a Canadians team playing a simple chip and chase, short passes, five-man units, all within a few feet of each other, just like they had been in the first part of the season. And lo and behold, you get two goals in a period, you dominate the period, and you beat the team that's in first place in your division. I'd like to know what was said in the room. I really oh. would. There might have been some stuff thrown. Yeah, I would have. I'd really, I, I, yeah, I would have liked to have been in the room for that because um, there was a lot of talk prior to the game, yeah. and then we didn't really see much of it. Like they, they didn't look bad in the first few minutes, but then as the period went on, it was like, okay, it's going to be another long night. They gave but way we, too much space to the Leafs. Yeah, but it was a whole. But at the same time, like the the refs kind of the refs put their whistles away. Which is good. They, which is good. They they let them play. There was some very apparent stuff that uh, in in other series, you know, the Canadians easily would have had five or six power plays, and so would the Leafs. Like they let them get away with a few things. I think there was only what one call there in the whole game. Um, I think the Canadians had two power uh, two penalties. So, okay, like it was just yeah, it was a playoff style game. Yeah. 
and and like we saw that they can play this physical system. They can that we know that they can play physical and yeah. um, a guy like uh, Evans, I thought he was all over the yeah. ice and he was just like anybody that touched the puck, he was all over. And well, we know about Anderson, right? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Toronto um, had one power play. That was it. There you go. So, but uh, I watched uh, quickly the game this morning. I, I fast forward through a bit some bits and pieces of it. But from what I noticed during the game is the first two periods, Montreal played like they did the first last four periods. They, they sat back on their heels. They, they, they let the team come into the zone and set up before they, they tried to attack or do whatever they wanted to. It's almost like the way their penalty kill has been going. All right, we're on a penalty kill. Let's everyone just get back in our box and wait for them. They, there was no attack to the game. And then the third period was a totally different team. Like a totally different team. So I'm with Matt. I'd like to know what was said, who said what, because obviously somebody stepped up and said, you know what, guys, like let's smarten the F up here and uh, yeah. get this going. Because, I mean, if you want to, I don't know how far we're going to get into the discussion, but it was the Edmonton game that really disgusted me. So, uh, and, and that should have been the turning point. I think it was. Uh, Edmondson said they, they canceled a practice just so they can go over tape and, and talk about what they're doing and how they can fix it, which I think is a good thing. Um, and, and it changed it, you know, it took them two periods to reset, but, uh, hopefully that's what we'll see going forward. I don't like the fact they have a week off because, you know, you kind of, they got a groove going after that third period. You kind of want to keep it going, but it, it, it there's, yeah, there's some it pros and cons to, uh, to it. I mean, if you're going to look at the pros of it, it gives them a full week to clean up some of the things in their game. They can practice special teams. They can go over battle drills. They can, they can rest up a little bit because this, the, the next stretch is going to be tough. So it, in this way, it allows them to get themselves set up for that next stretch. And <clears throat> if at the beginning of the season, when we all had the Canadians sitting third at the end of the year, if at the beginning of the season we would have said Montreal's going to be in second, they'll only be a couple of points behind Toronto, and they'll have one of the top offenses in the league, I don't think anyone would have been upset to come into this break with the record that the Canadians have. I just think it's the uh, <clears throat> the last week with the poor play. Unless... This isn't last year's team. Last year's team, had they played this way, would have lost every game. This year's team found ways to gut out a couple of wins and get some points. They finished in the last four games, two, uh, two and two. Their offense is all but dried up with only, I think, six goals in those, those uh, four games, which when you're one of the top offensive teams, not good. And they're giving, they gave up nine goals. Um, the power play is one of the bottom power plays in the league over that stretch in the last week. Uh, their penalty kill, oddly enough, is one of the top penalty kills over that stretch. So the game last night was... Oh, Treg went away. Uh, the game last night was um, was basically playing rope-a-dope. Price showed up. He kept the team in this game for two periods and then the team was able to find a way to gut out that win. So this is the formula that we're going to see in the playoffs. I think where 
when the team's not quite up to snuff, price steps up. And that's what they did. The Canadians needed that. So, huh. The, the next question I'm going to have for you guys is this. Now, with Tatar sitting, we're going to get into this now. But my question on this is, do you think COVID and the, the stresses placed on families and players is what's kind of pushing some of this for these guys? I mean, Tatar's here. His family's not. Uh, some guys you know, around the league have family in the U.S., children that they haven't seen yet. I mean, this is stuff that, that really weighs heavy on people. If you couldn't see your family for five, six months at a time, we all know that feeling. It's not easy and it's hard to, it's hard to perform when you have those kinds of concerns. Do you think that's bleeding in here, Treg? I think it's in the back of their minds. I don't think it's a, um, I don't think it's a major issue. Um, I think uh, it's a good question, but I, I don't know. Like, I don't know where everyone's family is. I know uh, Carrie moves his family to Montreal when they play there. Um, I know some other teams, players do that. Petrie has a house in Montreal. Uh, you know, Deneau, of course, does. So, yeah. Uh, so, I guess it does and it doesn't. Uh, I'm more concerned about the fact that when they're home, they, they play worse. Uh, than when they're away. And I think maybe that has something to do. I think their, their mind is more on their family when they're home than it is on the game. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I can't speak for anyone and the way they think and the way they are, but I, I, you can't not say COVID doesn't have some effect on, on things like, especially the Edmonton game where they kind of pushed the start of the game back because someone had to be tested for COVID and was put on COVID protocol. And, then, and on that, just you know, as an aside, like, Oh, just as an aside that, uh, that was Pugliarvi and it turned out to be a false positive. Yeah. So yeah. And I mean, the North division hasn't had any positive COVID tests yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. So whatever we're doing in Canada, we're doing right. Uh, whatever the teams are doing, they're doing right. But yeah, it, I, I, I'm not going to say it doesn't weigh. I don't know if it, how big of a factor it is, uh, but I, I would say that kind of weighs on them. And I think it's going to be more around the 30 games is maybe when you'll see people start being like, all right, let's get this season over with and get back to our families. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I think it's on their minds. I just don't think it's a, right now. I don't think it's a major thing. What about you, Matt? I could be a part of it as well. I can see that. Um, I can, I can see that maybe that there would be some sort of issue if. Um, I think if we see a, a positive test in the Canadian division, I can see then that there would be a little bit more talk for regarding something like that. But uh, as of right now, as as Treg alluded to, I'm sure it's a part of their. It's 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 in there. It's in their head, and um, as you said, like you know, they're they have played a little bit worse. Um, when they're at home and maybe it's because they are with their uh, their families and they're back to that little bit of normalcy and a little bit more of a routine etc instead of being on the road and the only guys that you have are the guys in the locker room and you know you sit in the hotel by yourself is that's what they have to do right um, obviously you can go home you can see your kids you can see your family you can pet your dog you can do whatever the hell you want to do 
you know, maybe you're not, you know, hockey, hockey, hockey all the time. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't think like, no, for me, there's no big concern. And I think we're going to see Tatar back in the lineup on Saturday. I can't see him. I can't see him sitting out two games. So that brings me to this. I mean, Tatar, yeah, he scored, uh, just recently, but that was only his third goal of the season after going after scoring two in the first couple of games. So he was clearly not quite on his game in a contract year, which is really odd. So sitting Tatar before a big game against a division rival who's leading the division. And if you lose, you're going to be, you're going to be down seven points. You'll be seven points behind. That's a, that's a huge game. That's a big game, especially right before a week off. To me, it seems like that was Julian's way of waking the team up saying, Hey, we need you to be responsible if you're not up to the level that I want you at, you're going to sit. And here's one of my veteran players who led the team in scoring for a couple of years in a row sitting. Do, do you guys feel that that's, that's the case, Treg? Uh, that's absolutely, I think was the case. That's Julian sending a message to everyone else. Sitting a rookie says nothing. Sitting a rookie is just saying, you know, Oh, I'm sitting this guy. And everyone's like, Oh, okay. Well, he's a rookie. We can see why Julian's doing that, you know, uh, yeah. sitting to turn, but yeah, I, I think there's a, a bigger underlay, uh, a more to that whole Tatar thing. And the way he's struggling is Deneau's struggling. And Tatar is a product of who he plays with. Um, yeah. And with Deneau struggling, Gallagher struggled a little bit. I mean, look at what happened when they put the Foley on that line. I personally, I mean, this is getting, oh, I maybe have another question, so I won't say anything right now, but uh I think it was a major uh, uh, a message from Julian saying, I'm not afraid to fit one or sit one of you veterans to get my message across. Uh, Tatar made the most sense because I know a lot of people say, why didn't you sit to know he's been worse? But if you sit to know, there's a huge hole at center. Um, who's going to be, who's going to play center? You got Verbeek Byron, in the taxi Byron, squad. Yeah, Verbeek's Byron, not, he's not an NHLer. No. Um, and Palin's out hurt. Yeah, you're stuck with a winger playing center and Byron Byron, I guess would be your, your obvious. And you don't want that. You, you don't, especially with a team who struggles at face-offs to begin with. So uh, as much as everyone's down on Dino, he's our best face-off guy. So you're not going to sit him again. I don't know where we're going if there's a question on Dino, but. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll wait till then. But uh, for now, I think Tatar was the, the most logical guy to sit. Uh, you're not sitting Gallagher, that's for sure. Um, so, yeah, that was his message to the to the uh, team. Buck the fuck up or shit's yeah. going down. Yeah, I think Toffoli shifting to that line gave them what they were missing with Tatar and putting Perry into the lineup on a fourth line and recreating the finish line again. You're not really missing much. I mean, Tatar wasn't really producing, so it, it's. I agree. It's the super easy thing to do. Now, Matt, what what about you? I, I agree. I agree with them. Um, there, there, there was definitely some some um, from a from a stats um, viewpoint or from a fan viewpoint. Yes, we could say, you know, a guy like Byron should sit, or a guy like Perry should just sit, or you know, Dino, as you were as you alluded to, um, but that would have left the big hole down the center. Um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see who comes out. They won the game. 
each of these players that we talked about bring something different to the game. You know, Byron has that speed. He plays bigger than what he is. He just hasn't done anything on the score sheet. He hasn't really used his speed either. Right. Byron's, well, Byron's another story that we could get right. into another time. But. Um, you know, you're not going to take out a guy like Evans. It would be easy to do so, but you're not going to take him out. He's actually been playing pretty good hockey. Um, Janot, as, as I said, he'd leave a big hole down the middle. And you're not going to remove somebody like Anderson or Toffoli or Drouet or something like that. It, would just, it was just a message. It was sent. It was received. Um, Gallagher talked about it after the game, and a few other players touched on it as well. And I think I think Tatar will be just fine. I think he'll be back in on Saturday, and I don't think there's going to be any love loss or anything like that. Maybe we're going to see him with a little bit more step in his game. And for me, it's just I'd like to see Dano get a goal. He's had his chances. He made a really good pass yesterday. Oh, that beautiful uh, that, setup, right? And maybe that's what he needs. He just needs the he needs to see that red light come on a couple times, and it, whether it be whether it be off of his stick or not, just being on the ice, being a part of that celebration on the other team's net. I, I got to add, yeah, that. yeah, not off yeah. his stick into his own net again, yeah, but on the other net. <laughs> um, but that but that that's been their be- one of their most consistent lines. I I I don't think we we have anything to really worry about there. No, and, and to there's players I worry about a hell of a lot more than Tatar, right now. True, and I do see Tatar coming back, and I do see Perry being the one that's put down, taken off the lineup. Armia moved down. Tatar played on Kotniemi's line. They're not. I don't think they're going to make a change to the uh, the Dano line right now. Uh, so there's that. But on Dano, um, he has not played well. Not as not to his level. Not at all. Specifically, nowhere near his level this season. Um, especially the last ten-ish games, he's been he hasn't been that good. Like he had a great third period last night against the Leafs, and he made a beautiful pass after Gallagher did the hard work, cutting off the boards, stealing that puck, and tapping it right to a stick. Great job by Denote to notice Toffoli streaking in on the uh, the off wing. Beautiful. That's what we want to see from that line. So that period, Deneau's kind of come back to what we expect from him, but he has played poorly all season. And the French media have been defending him, saying, you know, he's just trying to get, you know, he's got a lot on his mind and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So does everybody else. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But just recently, in the last couple of days, they've been attacking Kotniemi. Uh, kind of as if to distract from Deno saying maybe we should sit Kotniemi, you know, eh, eh, wink, wink, instead of Deno. Even though last night Kotniemi led the team in the faceoff circle, and it's no question that Kotniemi is a little bit off. I mean, he he's off by a little bit. Like his timing, you can tell. Do I shoot or pass on this play? And then when he finally makes his decision, the shooting lane or the passing lane shuts down, and he follows through on whichever and the shot gets deflected or the pass is cut down. He needs to figure out what he's going to do before he does it. 
you know, all the players that are forcing the play right now, he's probably yeah. the one that's the most apparent. Yeah. But I give him a lot more leeway because he's not given the same talent level of wingers as Deno has been given. Yeah, he had Toffoli, and they did well together. But on the other wing, he had Armia, who was playing poorly up until that game before his concussion. And now this this last game, he had Lekkonen and Armia, two pretty good wingers, but not exactly what you'd call offensively-minded players, which would complement Kotniemi well. But he focused on his face-offs, and he did really well there. So for me, Deneau would be the guy to pick to sit as a, as a message, but there's no one to replace him. No one. Paling's out injured. Um, you got Verbeek in the taxi squad. <clears throat> you could move Evans up for a game and maybe Byron plays in the center, but like Treg said, that is not ideal. So, uh, I mean, you guys can go a little bit deeper on this if you want, Treg. You know, Personally, I said instead of sit. Instead of sitting to know, swap him with Cotton Yemi. Give Cotton Yemi a chance to play with Tartar and Gallagher or Toffoli Gallagher, whoever you want to have on that line. Throw Dano down to the third line to play with uh, Lekkonen and Armia or, again, whoever's going to play on that. Personally, I think Tartar and Dano should drop to the third line and Cotton uh, Yemi, Toffoli, and Gallagher. Try them out for a line. Kind of like get, in the playoffs. Yeah, because Toffoli and Cotton Yemi have a bit of chemistry together. Uh you got that grit guy in Gallagher that's going to go to the front of that and going to go to the whatever. And you have the veteran presence of Gallagher to, to whisper and cut in his ear, take the shot or take the pass. Don't think about it. Just do one or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I think that's what they, I don't, I don't see it happening because I think uh, Julian stuck on that line, that uh, Dano Tatar Gallagher line. He doesn't want to split it up if he doesn't have to. Uh, but I think that's what you got to do. I think you got to move. Deneau was playing like a third line center. And I think you got to put him in the third line center spot and make him earn his way back up. Uh, that's my opinion. Um, yeah, Cotton, yeah. I think it's easy for the French media to pick Cotton Enemy just because of what we already mentioned about him. He, he, he's not playing bad hockey. He's actually playing very good defensive style hockey. He's throwing hits out there. He's playing the body. He's, He's moving the puck well. He's just not making the right decisions at the right time in the offensive zone. And that's, what, and that's what's hurt. I also think his stick is three feet too long. But uh, um, I don't think he's not playing worse than Deneau. That's just it. So why are we punishing a guy for doing the little mistakes he's doing when you have a guy who should be at the next level or a little bit higher than uh, – playing like total trash half the time and and you're letting him get away with it that sends a bad message to the room if you ask me yeah uh, julian's too smart of a coach to do something like that so and this this brings me to my uh, what i brought up at this before the season started uh the lack of experience at center with deno being the one with the most experience at five years in the league he's the guy they had to rely on and he's not bringing it and what we're seeing from cotton yemi is some of those growing pains that I had warned about. So this is stuff that we're going to have to watch them work through. And you don't work through it by sitting on the bench. Matt? Um, I just wanted to say that uh, I think the Deneau uh, contract's really weighing on him. He should have taken that money. Yeah. 
I think it's, but I think that's part of it as well, that he's thinking like we're 15 games into the season. I've got six assists on a contract here. He's overplaying himself. He's trying too hard. Yeah, yeah. When I could have had guaranteed money, I could have been on this team, been a part of it, et cetera. Now you look at it going forward. Is this a guy that we're going to have on the team next year? at a discounted price now, like there's no way, there's no way they give him five mil now. No way anybody does. Right. Exactly. Or six years. Or six years. Exactly. The Bergevin uh, approached him and wanted him to be part of the, part of this core going forward. And I think he was very, very, very selfish to turn it down thinking that maybe he was going to be some sort of uh you know, God's gift to the center position for the Canadians or something is as sure as hell hasn't worked out for him. And Deneau's defense, though, he did his have two seasons where he was fifth and seventh and Selkie voting. That's true. He, he That's true. you know, like in his defense, he's like, you know what? I may not. He he, he would have had 50 points this season. Uh, you know, I think he had 50 the season before or close to it. Yeah. Uh, so he's looking at it going, you know, I deserve five and a half, six million dollars, right? Like I'm in that range. So if you look on Deneau's thinking, he's going, look what I've done for this team. I've been your number one center, even though I'm not a number one center. I deserve something for what I've done the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. He bet, he bet on himself and it, it didn't work out. And it didn't work out. So to the people that bashed him saying he should have took the contract, I can see why he held out. I can see why he said, no, I think I'm worth more than that. However, Having said that, then he, you know, he should have been coming out like a gangbuster and, and having a lot better season than. Absolutely. If you're going to bet on yourself, you need yeah. to produce. So exactly, yeah, I, I can totally see. Like you guys said, I I agree. I can see why he wanted a little bit more, but uh, according to La Poche Bleu and uh, Guillaume Nathan Adres, they didn't even they didn't even give a counter offer. They just flat out said no to the six year five million per deal. Instead of saying, "Hey, how about six five. for five? Yeah. You know, like something." Yeah. So, um, and, and in retrospect, this could turn out to be better for the Canadians because now their cap uh, is not quite as unbalanced at center. Because Suzuki's still got a, another year after this on his ELC, but Kotniemi needs a deal, so he's going to probably get about two and a half ish for a bridge That's deal. Probably, yeah. And if Dano does stay, I wouldn't expect him to get much more than what he's getting now. Maybe four or four and a half for a couple of years, three years. I'm not sure what he's getting now. Is he getting four? 3.3. Uh, yeah. I can see him getting a raise, just not yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing over five million. No, no, like a four, four and a half range yeah. for a few years, two, three years. Um, especially with a flat cap. If in a flat cap era, when a GM comes in and says, I'm going to give you six years at 5 million per, and that's kind of where you are at and what you're hoping for, take it. Because I think, I think that whole contract thing is a major reason why he's trying so hard and he's overdoing things and he's playing poorly. But the, what's done is done and he needs to sort himself out. And he's not going to go crawling back to MB saying, oh, okay, no. I'll take her. Because MB's like, well, that's not on the table anymore. Yeah. Sorry, bud. 
you said no to it. So yeah. sorry. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. That was piss poor negotiating on his agent's part by just yep. saying no to that type of call. Because this is say, not well, to know. This is the agent. Yeah. Because uh, he could have looked at that and said, ah, uh, yeah, you're not in our ball. We're in the ballpark. This is what we want. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then Bergevin could have looked at that and said, yay or nay or hammered something probably could have had a deal out by now and somewhere in between but we also could have been left with an overpriced center so maybe it's a good thing especially when they're now it's clear that Kotniemi and Suzuki are the future for the Canadians at center they're going to be their one-two centers and this is another reason why I think I agree with you Treg that they should be giving Kotniemi a little bit more offensive um Responsibilities. Uh, responsibilities. The defensive side of the uh, of the puck, they can move Deno down to a third line and they can split up some of the defensive uh, responsibilities between him and Evans. Those two would do extremely well there. Suzuki, he's relied on to match up against top lines. Does really well there. So Kotniemi plays well enough defensively. He's got room to grow and he still needs work done. And he need he he's not really given a lot of leeway offensively. He's not given those weapons to help. So why not give him a couple of games on with some better offensive talent and spread the defensive side around a little bit? I, I just don't see a downside with that. Um, in a short term, <clears throat> just to see what happens. So and if it's successful, keep it. If it works, exactly it works. If it does, it worked in the playoffs. If it doesn't work, then be like, all right, well, sorry, KK, you, you had your chance. Play here for a few more games. Maybe we'll try it again in a week or so. Yeah, exactly. There you go. This is part of this is part of your player development. Yeah. You want him to reach a certain point. Well, you got to start giving him incremental increases in responsibilities in certain parts of the game. You do it a little bit at a time. So defensively, he's, he was doing okay. You wanted him to work on face-offs. Last few games, he's done extremely well. I just wish he'd be more consistent. Suzuki will, or sorry, cut. It may be 60% yeah. the face-off circle one game, then 20% the next. And I think that's something that's also yeah. kind of hindering is consistent. However, I think he's the most improved face-off guy in the entire bunch. So yeah, he's working extra hours with Muller. He's looking the last couple of games. He's done very well. So why not give him a little bit of offensive help? See if he can take some of that on. Maybe that'll help his timing, especially with decision-making on shoot versus pass. Who knows? Like maybe that'll work. So you want to develop the guy? Well, give him, give him this little bit and then this little bit and then build on each one like a, like a house. You got your foundation. Now you, you, add, you add the king posts. You add this. You add little by little by little. Matt, you're, you're quiet. I do that. I do that every now and then. If we want to talk about face-offs, um, I'd really like to see them really sit down with uh, Suzuki. I love yeah. Suzuki. I love Suzuki. He's under 40% now for the season. And That's just, probably his worst part of his game is his yeah. face-offs. And, and, and this is the line that really drives a lot of the offense, or at least so far this year. Um, but if they, can't, if they can't get possession, then it's – yeah, it's just it's then then they're then they're playing catch up and they're and they're wasting they're wasting vital time to 
to get into the rush and to, and to get up into the play, right? Especially so. if they want Suzuki to be their number one center. You really yeah. got to at least yeah. be 50% on the faceoff dot, at yeah. least. Or close he, to. <laughs> he's at like 39-something now, yeah. I think. He's just under 40%. Yeah. He's been winning the big key faceoffs, especially in the defensive zone. He's been pulling those out. So that's a that's a silver lining. But yeah, he's been working extra hours after practice with Muller and company working on face-offs. Uh, they showed it in the intermission where he was, they were teaching him how to take face-offs against Tavares. And he, he didn't win all of them, but he won more than what he's won recently. So incremental in, improvements. You know what? He's still young. He's 21 years old. It's going to, it's going to come. Yeah. Um, you know, the best years are still ahead for, uh, for Suzuki. He's only getting better. It's just, that's one glaring part of his game right now. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, moving on to the next topic, I'm going to, this is going to be fun. A surprise. I just made this up just for shits and giggles. Cause they have the week off I think this would be the only real time where you have the least amount of games lost due to a trade. So if a trade were to happen, this is it this week. Cause you missed the least amount of games. So who do you trade? Let's make up some rumors. Let's Eklund this bitch. <laughs> uh, who's going first here? You. Oh, who's being traded? Yes. Mete. Oof, that first round pick guaranteed return. Well, no, it'd be more like a third round pick. But uh, here's the way I look at it. Montreal needs center depth on the NHL team. Uh, I'm not saying you go out and get Sidney Crosby or get anyone like that. Uh, but what uh, you need to get is someone who can sit on that taxi squad as a center or sit up in the press box as a center. And like you said, if we need to sit to know or cotton enemy or something like that, you can bring a guy in that, you know, can play on the fourth line and be just as well back and forth. Um, I'm trying to think. Nate Thompson's the name that I would love to come back as a Montreal Canadiens to be that guy. Uh, but who does Montreal have right now that they can trade? You're not trading to tar, not at this point. You're not trading to know, not at this point. Uh, Mete's already stated that he wants more ice time. And Mete had a solid game last night. Mete played a very, uh, probably his best game of the season. His value's at an all-time high. What's that? His value's at an all-time high. Well, I, I'm, there's people out there that specifically love Mete just for the simple fact that he's an analytic darling. Um, but there's no one on this defensive core that Mete can replace full-time. Nobody. Um, so he is your best option to maybe get what you want. Are you going to get a center for him straight up? Probably not. But Montreal also has 14 freaking draft picks that they could – play with to, to get something back um so if there's a trade it's going to be happening it's going to be involving him that's the only logical person i can see being traded um yeah and that's that's that's, that's my thoughts that's who i think is going to get traded what about you matt i'll stick with defense i'll say kulak okay interesting just based on the fact that uh Mete had such a strong game, and he's he's gonna he's just gonna just gonna take off. He's gonna take off, and he's just gonna be he's gonna be the guy. He'll be playing with Weber before you know. 
Matt, you're just trying you're just trying to rile me up now, Matt. That's all you're trying to do. No, I, I agree with I agree Kula with you, Trey. Another one. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Mete's probably the most likely of movements because they can easily replace him on a taxi squad with Wellette or I mean pick or kill flurry or something. Well, kill flurry you want playing. So unless you're calling uh, unless you're bringing him up to I bring actually him up to play. play. Yeah. Yeah. So just leave him in Laval, let him play his his game because he's he's looked really good in Laval. Yes, he has. So um but yeah, Mete I can see being moved. You add something to him to get like uh, someone who can fill in as a third, fourth line center. Absolutely. That would work. Um, I think you, you, you add a third to Mete, you get yourself Crosby and they eat half his cap. Sure. No problem. <laughs> take our trash. We'll take your best. Um, yeah. And I mean, if you're going to look for a blockbuster deal, Tatar would be my, my bet because are you going to keep him? Are you, you are you saving money to bring him back? What's he going to want? What kind of long-term deal is he looking for? How much? So if you move him now and you make a make a trade for a proven third-line center or another winger, a younger one, you know, let's less proven uh, from the U.S., sure. Uh, I still think that these guys are all going to stay as own rentals, but, you know, just for – just for fun. This is a, just a, a for fun segment, so why not? You could move Tartar to make room for Caulfield as well down the road. Because if do they, that just by not signing him. Well, I just meant for this season. Like, I mean, if you want to, uh, I mean, that would be more of a trade deadline move. But uh, if you really want uh, Caulfield to be in your lineup when he's done with Wisconsin, which I believe is in two or three weeks. Um, uh, no, they're not done until the end of March. Um, okay, sure. Mid-April. So, I mean, if if that's the case, then you need to find a hole for him. Where who's he, who are you going to take out? Uh, a Byron's another name that could be brought up in a trade scenario as well. Byron's having a down season. This will be a second down season in a row. Uh, he does provide. I mean, and the reason I say this in the and Beth's going to kill me because she loves Byron, but. Uh, Byron's even losing penalty killing time to guys like Armia, Lekkanen, and Toffoli. So the biggest argument on Byron to keep him around was, oh, look at his penalty kills. Look at his this and that. But he's not even a a top penalty killer anymore on the team. He's a fourth-line winger. He's not using his speed. He's uh, he's just not the same Byron that we were used to. Um, The things... (laughs) Take away from that is just three and a half million dollar contract. Not a lot of people are going to want a three and a half million dollar fourth line player. And the at, fact, oh, go ahead, look, man. sorry, you look at their uh, their seven shorthanded goals this year. He hasn't been on any of them, even an assist. Yeah, he's so just I'm, being outstripped on the depth chart. It's, it's not yeah. anything against him. It's just the Canadians as a whole have gotten better. So he's, he's not playing. Me. He's not playing no. his way up that depth chart either. So because they're better. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Dano. Dano slipping on the depth chart and people's minds, not so much in Julian's formation of the lineups, but Byron's the same way. And Mete's the same. Mete, you know, I, I, this is the second show in a row I've defended Mete for some reason, but 
Must be, the, must be the paint fumes in that room or something. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, he's just fallen on the depth chart. It's not that Mete played so terrible that he got pushed out. It's just that the players that came in are better. Now, people argue Edmondson is not better than Mete. Well, you want to talk about Edmondson. He leads the team in exit zone success rate and uh, entry zone denials. So, you know, he's not... I don't understand the whole Edmondson hate that's going on out there. No, he's not the same. He's not a puck moving defenseman, but Lori said it best on her. Lori answers the call for call of the wild. Uh, they Free needed follow, a better, the they needed the better version of Mete, not Edmondson. And she's absolutely right. They needed a puck moving defenseman that played a stronger game in his own end. And uh, they didn't get that. They got Edmondson, who still, I think, is so far doing exactly what he needed to do as a defensive defenseman, playing with Petrie. He's he's and, not a pretty guy, and he just he, he he gives he gives space to his partner. And we've seen that with with Petrie, and he's tied for the team lead in points and having a very good season himself. And and Mike Johnson said it best: when you have a defensive defenseman, you don't want to hear his name. You know he's having a good net game if you don't hear his name. And and that's exactly what Edmondson's doing. And Mete, as good as he played last night, I don't see him in next Saturday. Maybe. We'll see. It's against Toronto, so you never know. Maybe. But, uh, but that's the kind of player he is. He matches up with fast teams. Yeah. But any team that has any um, physicality to it, he does not match up well with. Right. So it'd be interesting. Like, I mean, we got off the topic of trades, but if, if anyone were to get trade this week, it'd be Byron Mete or Tatar. And my my sure. bet would be on Mete, but I don't see anyone going anyway. So. I mean, yeah. Matt? No. Okay. No? no? You don't want to trade price? Don't I'm not, price one them. not one of Fire them. Fire everyone. No. Trade price. Fire <laughs> everyone. Definitely not one of them. I, I just think that... Uh, on, on a different topic, just the fact that the Canadians won the game on Saturday night against the Leafs, Price looked good in doing it. He had a 950 save percentage or something at, the, at that level. And that's against some top-end shooters. I mean, Marner, Matthews, Nylander, Tavares. He, he was able to, to keep them from putting up more than just the one goal. He gave up one goal against that played great so he played well the team gutted out a win in a comeback manner i think that takes away from a week of insanity that would have been seen online and in media print and the whole nine yards had they lost that game in any way shape or form even if they would have came back lost in overtime just a loss of any kind and this team would have been you know it would have been everything would have been about fire Julian trade is house. <laughs> well, that's, it's gotten quiet though, because they, yeah. they won. Uh, it's still early. We're recording it Sunday morning. <laughs> so maybe people are still nursing that champagne hangover after the win and they're going to get back to it here soon. But um, I think it's going to die down. It's going to be in the background until the next loss. And it just comes right back again, which is the beauty of Habs Twitter. <laughs> it's just, is bipolar I mean, if, in some if you ways. look at the reality of it, they're not going to win every game. They're going to go no. on some losing streaks. But as long as you keep the losing streaks to a minimum, like technically they only lost two games in a row. 
technically. Yes, three of the last four, but only two in a row. They pulled out a point in one of those. Right. So, I mean, just to sit there and say, oh, like as soon as they had a little bit of adversity, the entire social media fan base of Habs just lost their minds. Like everyone, Price needs to be traded. Julian needs to be fired. Muller needs to be fired. Bouchard should be the co- And I mean, I get it. Why? Because of last year and the two eight-game losing streaks and the failure to act. I mean, personally, I think Julian should have been fired last year. I, I honestly do. Hindsight, I can see why he wasn't. The season was already gone. By the time they were halfway through their eight-game losing, what would be the point in bringing in, you know, moving to Sharm or Muller up as a coach? Um, but, man, this year, you, if they would have lost the Leafs and maybe lose next Saturday, then I could sit there and go, okay, yeah, now it's time to start talking about a change. Uh, you know, now it's time. That what This team was built for Julian. It's not working. What's the common denominator? It got to be, you know, the head coach. So, but until then, until we get into a Vancouver Canucks situation, I think everyone needs to just kind of relax. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much what we're going to see is a, a more relaxed, not fire everyone, but Hey, these guys need to work on this or that. And, um, I mean, I totally see, uh, today is a day off and then Monday they're going to get right back to practice and we're going to be, we're going to be watching power play drills. We're going to be watching battle drills, especially one-on-ones breakouts. They're going to be, you're going to be watching a five man unit breakout. They're going to go back over all the basics that they had at the start of the year to get it back on track for the next, the next stretch run, because they're going to have five games in seven nights. That's, that's the kickoff right there after this time off it's five games, seven nights. There is no rest. And the fact that they're still sitting in second place in this division, despite playing poorly this week, gives should give fans a little bit of hope that this team is is sticking around and is in it as a playoff team. And I mean they've they said it on uh, social media, uh, they've said it on Sportsnet and TSN. The Canadians are a more of a playoff built team versus the regular season. I mean the Leafs are going to probably walk away with this division because Calgary had a slow start. I had Calgary finishing first with Toronto right behind them and Montreal just behind that. Sure, Toronto will win the win the division. That that's that's a very big possibility. And if they do, are they ready for the playoffs? I mean, they haven't shown that at all. At the very least, the Canadians had a team after us after selling off half their team, they won a series against a decent hockey team. So there's there's that hope, there's that track record. So I would put more I would put money on the Canadians winning a series before the Maple Leafs, but with Simmons added to the roster and to, and uh, uh, Joe Thornton, I mean, Toronto looks a little bit better. So you just never know. So the, the important thing is the Canadians just need to get their shit together and enter that, that stretch run. Another thing that made this game important is Toronto plays three games against Ottawa coming up. So yep. unless they totally shit the bed, 
that's six points that they could possibly be ahead of Montreal before they play again. I don't know. Ottawa looked pretty good against Winnipeg. They they did to Winnipeg what they did to the Canadians. They they kept it super close, and then they scored a late goal and stole the game from Winnipeg uh, with a goal with about eight seconds left in that last one. And Winnipeg is no slouch. So I can totally see Ottawa pulling off a win. Hell, even an overtime loss, maybe split the series 1-1-1 in the next Three wins. Three wins? <laughs> Three wins. That would be epic. Epic. And then, and then just sit back and watch Leafs Twitter explode. <laughs> oh, Leafs Twitter, TSN and Sportsnet. Oh, I mean, I, watching all the those, highlight all those package. People, all, those pe- yeah. all those people that they didn't fire. <laughs> I mean, did oh, it, shit, did I go there? <laughs> did anyone else there. notice every time Montreal scored, they went to right to Austin Matthews for his reaction? Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. I, I still don't understand that. <laughs> they wanted to see if that mustache is actually penciled in. He just wiped it off. I don't know. <laughs> like, they'll show, like, Toffoli score, to show him put his arms up, then they go directly to Matthews sitting on the bench. He's like, and he's like, we're skating Damn. away. Because <laughs> yeah. the super the defensive Gallagher Matthews goal. was nowhere near the net. He was up at the blue line waiting for the breakout pass. Yeah, yeah that was uh, Gallagher's goal where they, he was skating yeah. away there. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that the highlight packages on TSN get super short with the Leafs when they lose to the Canadians, like or normally, when they lose, in, or when they lose in general. They're yeah. like, "Oh, we can't talk about this." Yeah, but I mean, the highlight package this morning was only about two and a half minutes, and then normally it's 10, 15 minutes on the Leafs if they pull off a win, especially against Montreal. Oh, you're looking at it, like they spent more time showing highlights of Matthews talking to Marner before a game. On the, in the warmups to set up that goal that he scored, than they did talking about the game. <laughs> so I mean, oh, I guess when you own the team, you uh, you know you kind of prop up the team. Uh, yeah. So that uh, that story that there's no Toronto bias, bullshit. Well, it, it it's getting to the point now where they're talking more about Montreal and the Toronto fans are getting pissed off about it. So you just know, the you fact know? that they're talking about Montreal. Yeah. See, you know, there's something going on there. On Anglais. On Anglais. It's not that they're talking about Montreal too much. It's the fact that they're just talking about them at all. Cause normally they don't. And <laughs> I'm going to be honest, the Canadians didn't give much to talk about for a while. So yeah. I can see but, why Leaf fans would be a little bit upset that they uh, they had to give up f- f- what about three minutes off an hour long show to talk about Habs, but hey, whatever, deal with yeah, it. But RDS talks about Habs. You don't need everyone else to talk about the Habs. <laughs> oh, yeah, the regional carrier. Yeah, yeah RDS awesome. does. You don't need everyone. You have your own. We have our own network. We don't need. Well, they talk about Ottawa too. <laughs> yeah, but it's all Montreal and Ottawa. RDS talks about Ottawa more than TSN. RDS talks about Winnipeg more than TSN. <laughs> that's my that's my problem. There's seven Canadian teams. Agreed. Talk about all seven. Yeah. And don't fire all the people that work for every other team except Toronto. And then hire more people from Toronto. We're going to use Toronto people to cover games elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think uh, I think we beat this dead horse pretty well. Um, just want to say 
to our to our leaf friends and listeners we know your pain we know you're hurting because you lost to the haves uh, but there's some leftover champagne on the counter drown your sorrows so thanks for listening we appreciate all of our listeners and our friends and the interactions i want to thank everyone for tuning in um Check out our YouTube page. Uh, it's we're just starting out. We got a few videos on there. Uh, please subscribe. The more people that subscribe, the better. Share it with your friends. Um, last week's episode with uh, Terry Ryan is on there, and he was a hoot. Uh, even Lori, she loved it. It's uh, it. It essentially was me and Treg as, as saying about four words total, and just letting Terry run with it. So check that out, and uh, always remember. If you were talking about it, so are we. Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.